0: everyone, welcome to episode 109 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's guest is the amazing Dutch landscape photographer Albert Dross. Albert is well known for his incredible landscape photography. Most recently, his work from Kyrgyzstan has captured a lot of well-deserved attention. He is also really well known for his articles on the popular photography platform Petapixel. In this episode of the podcast, Albert talks about his beginnings as a photographer in Hong Kong, how he has leveraged his master's degree in multimedia and entertainment technology as a photographer, why he writes articles for Petapixel, the use of composites in photography, how he plans his photography shoots, photographing at super wide angles like 10 millimeter, uh, his amazing photography from Kyrgyzstan today's social media challenges, and his upcoming Greenland workshop. This week over on Patreon, for the bonus episode, Albert discusses his use of the Reddit platform as a marketing tool to promote his photography, which I thought was really thoughtful and interesting. All right, well that's it. Let's get to the show. All right. Well, Albert Dross, man, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Matt, for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be on the podcast. I really like it. So
0: Excellent. So have you been uh, listening to, to the podcast for a while? Or
1: Yeah, well, I haven't listened to all of them, uh, obviously, but uh, I, I've, I've listened to a few, uh, few recent ones. So uh, definitely, yeah, it's always very interesting what people have to say in the photography industry. Uh, And I always like to talk about it myself. So, uh, yeah, it's great that you're doing that. And uh, I'm really glad to to be on the show.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm really happy to have you on the show. And you're all the way in the Netherlands. Is that right?
1: That's right. So I think you have a a, a lot of guys from the US, actually, uh, on the podcast. Absolutely. Something different, huh?
0: (laughs) Something different. I don't think we've ever had anyone from the Netherlands. We've had Germany, uh, the UK, Italy... France, but I don't think the Netherlands has made it on the show yet, so you're, you're oh. representing your country
1: okay, Well, <laughs> the first Dutch person on the show. I love it
0: <laughs> That's well that's Albert awesome. it is awesome. well, Albert, maybe just take a moment to um introduce yourself to the listeners. I think it would be good for people to just maybe get a feel for who we're talking to today
1: yeah sure so my name is albert dross you pronounce it like that so not that hard like some dutch names like (laughs) my little brother for example his name is michiel try to pronounce that (laughs) Uh, no thank you yeah so uh no yeah i'm albert dross Uh, i'm from the netherlands Um, i was born here um i currently live in amsterdam um, and I have been doing uh, photography professionally for about six to seven years now. Uh, and before that, I was uh, working in the design industry. So I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm a designer, uh, also animator. I like to do After Effects, you know, software, uh, 3D software, like uh, 3D Max, uh, Cinema 4D. Uh, I've worked a lot for television in the broadcasting industry as well. i worked a lot on game shows. Uh, also, sports, soccer. So usually, I was just designing graphics and also doing uh, live in the studio, putting them on the screen. You know, so okay. if you would see any error on the screen in the graphics or some name typed wrong, that would that would be me. <laughs> <That> <laughs> happened a few times. <laughs> yeah, so I was doing this, and um, before that, I also had my own little video company. So um, yeah, now a lot of uh, people doing a lot of video. Uh, I'm actually not doing a lot of video, but uh, 10 years ago, I had my own company doing videos. So th- this is interesting. Um, but I was mainly uh, doing corporate videos, you know, uh, was a bit boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, uh, my background, uh, I studied uh, media technologies and I have a master's degree in uh, multimedia and entertainment technology that I actually got uh, in Hong Kong. So um, oh, wow. I um, I lived in Hong Kong for 2 years and um this is this is where my uh, photography my interest in photography actually started okay. I mean I, I I was already very uh, interested of course in 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 like cameras video creative stuff you know I've always worked in the creative industry but when I was living in Hong Kong you know this the city uh, everyone is photographing there it's like uh yeah like the whole city is walking around with cameras and really it's great yeah it's it's great to see like uh, everyone is also using these old analog cameras there even now you know it, it's very interesting oh. to see and you have these little labs everywhere where you can develop your 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 analog Really, and, uh, your your film slides. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's really amazing, and huh. uh, I really I really got caught in this. You know, photography. How how do you even say that? Like, there's a photography. Well, that's
0: yeah, that's fascinating. It's like a city of obsessed with photography.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's really what it is, and and it's not it's not. Um, I can't really imagine why that is because you know there's so much stuff to photograph in Hong Kong. Uh, I mean, nowadays, what's very popular is, of course, these these vertical shots with drones, you know, from these courtyards and these uh, crazy architecture, like old versus new uh, architecture and and, and amazing skyscrapers. Um, This is really it's just one of many things you can photograph there. Actually, when I lived there. I started with street photography Mm -hmm. and what really fascinated me is like the mood, the the mood there, when, especially when it was raining and it's evening and you have all these beautiful, colorful neon lights reflecting in the water. Um, And I used to just go out. I lived in Kowloon and for the people that don't know Hong Kong, you have Hong Kong Island. This is kind of the business district. And then you have the uh, Kowloon area that is also extremely crowded, but, it's much more local. So I lived in the center of this of Kowloon, the local area and I was just um, surrounded by everything. So to give you an idea, um, when I lived there, I had like six cinemas on the walking distance from my house. Oh, you know, wow. I could walk the, walk there within 10 minutes and there were six of them. And you have uh, shopping uh, shopping centers uh, on every corner of the street um it's just like you, they say new york is the city that never sleeps but you know hong kong is maybe uh, much more extreme uh, oh. than that you know if you walk at at 3 uh 3 at night uh, through the streets there you know it's crowded you know you see a lot lots of people there
0: that's crazy um, <laughs> and,
1: and even during the the weekdays yeah it's, it's it's amazing and you know i was living there and you know i could walk uh, uh, on Like everywhere I walked, I saw interesting things. You have all of these street markets with, you know, fish markets, meat markets, night markets, and there's all these people, you know, doing their thing and they all have so such, they're such interesting people with, with interesting, um, you know, uh, personalities and also their faces, you know, imagine this, this old fisherman standing at these markets with this really rough faces, you know, and they're standing there with their, you know, clothing full of blood, you know, because they, they <laughs> cut the fish and stuff. And and they're, they're having the, these fish in their hands. You know, it's it's amazing to photograph. Yeah. And then, you know, especially in the evening with all the lights and stuff, it's just this atmosphere. And then you have this smoke and stuff.
0: And I'm sure because of all the, the lights and stuff like that, it makes for some really nice uh, bokeh.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I come from the Netherlands, so I'm used to rain. But when you have rain in Hong Kong, the difference is, you know, it's not cold. So so it's great. I'm like, you know, if I go here on the streets when it's raining, it's it's cold, you know. It's, but but there, you know, I walk in my T-shirt, it's 25 degrees and it's raining. And I'm like, this is nice. Right. <laughs> you know, just, just having the umbrella in one hand and shooting with my other hand. Um, I, I, I always used to go out when it's raining in Hong Kong. So I started with the street photography and then... You know, I moved to cityscape photography because, you know, that's what Hong Kong is known for. It's I think one of the most beautiful skylines in the world, for me at least. Mm-hmm. It's very impressive and uh it has this, you know, amazing view from the peak they call it and there you can photograph the skyline which 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 is amazing.
0: Yeah, I think I know I think I know the the view that you're talking about. I feel like a lot of people yeah. have a similar shot from that area. Yeah. I was always curious. Is that is that area some something you can easily drive to, and then?
1: Yeah, you can drive to to there. Yeah, definitely. So usually I get a cab, you know, to there because if I go for sunrise early morning, you know, cabs are cheap there, so I just take a cab up there. Uh, you know, having a having a car in the city doesn't really work there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, there's a tunnel there. You know, you have to go to the other side through the ch- tunnel to Hong Kong Island you pay like 10 bucks every time you go through the tunnel. (laughs) So you might as well, you might as well get a, get a cap. Yeah. So you can just drive up there and then you have the standard view from the peak, but uh, there's also like a a view for where all the photographers are going and you have to walk like 15 minutes into some, you know, like a a walking path that actually not many normal tourists uh, know. So uh, yeah, it's usually quiet there and uh, you can enjoy the sunrise but uh, shooting the sunrise in hong kong definitely is not easy uh, because there's a lot of smog there Right. Uh, smog um when i was living there i had some days beautiful clear uh, beautifully clear and um, yeah without that much smog but a lot of days there's a lot of smog in the city uh, which is kind of annoying but uh, you can also utilize it to to make this beautiful atmospheric Uh, Shots because folk can also look really beautiful for especially for separation. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, But anyway, you know, there are also uh, a lot of amazing landscapes around the city Which a lot of people they don't know about they see Hong Kong as just an like Only cityscape, but uh, you can actually if you look on Google Maps and you look at Hong Kong There's a lot of national parks around the city and it's it's uh, it's great to just do hiking there. Uh, you can you have amazing views of nature, and then with the city in the background, it's uh, it's really beautiful. So yeah, a lot of locals as well. They do hiking there and photography, and sometimes in especially in, in, in the period now in May, you can have this sea of clouds. You know, this low fog hanging, and then the city in the background. It can look amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I could actually discover all kinds of photography when i was living in hong kong in a small space because you can go uh, to some mountain in like one hour you know you go like 30 or 45 minutes with the metro with the subway and then like a little bit of walking and then you're already like really far outside the city and there's some some amazing hikes there so i could explore everything and do uh, and i got really caught in photography just there uh, seeing everything and know, really inspired and I just wanted to capture everything so this is this is really where I started uh, my photography yeah
0: that's awesome did you did you pick up the language while you were there
1: I tried you know I tried I I, you know I can speak a little bit Cantonese Uh but it's uh, well it's extremely difficult and my my Cantonese uh, yeah I tried to learn it but the lectures, they were going so fast. So eventually I just didn't, I, I couldn't keep up. But uh, I can, I know most of the food, you know, and the bad words, <laughs> So I could order, I could, I could, there was this little place, this this little uh, local place uh, near a house, which was always uh, 24-7 open. And, and they had this menu, which was completely in, in, in Chinese, uh-huh. Cantonese. So I used to go there and I, you know, in the beginning, I I just pointed to people like, "Hey, I want to have this." You know what this guy have, uh, and uh, but eventually, I know how to order these dishes, <laughs> and uh, I would go there at night and order wonton soup. You know, and, uh, and, and 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 they really liked me because I ordered. I I came there a lot, and I, I remember, yeah, at some point, I could order all the dishes in Chinese, and they liked it so much. And at some point, they they raised the prices. <laughs> so the, the the wonton soup it went from like 2 dollars to 220 or something they put 10% on that and i was like i was giving my my 2 bucks you know 20 hong kong dollar i was giving it to them and they were like no no you know price up they said <laughs> price up I was like what price up i've been going here forever and then he was like for you 20 hong kong dollar okay yeah, so, <laughs> so, awesome. so they gave me like the, the regular price still so this was very nice of, of them yeah they That's they, they really like me there yeah yeah so uh hong kong food uh i could pronounce in chinese and uh, also like bad words <laughs> you know for cap for cab drivers if they would try to like screw me over in the cab by just driving around usually they don't really do that but i had one time i had that when and then i was talking to him in in in, in Chinese saying some bad words, and then immediately he was i oh this guy this guy this guy knows what's up and he immediately drove straight to my house so
0: that's yeah. funny <laughs> One of the things I was curious about with your uh, master's degree in multimedia um entertainment technology is I'm curious how that um informed your photography and or assisted you in terms of becoming a photographer or and especially I'm I'm guessing in the the post processing side of things was probably a lot easier for you to pick up.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, of course, for composition, observing composition and color It's already a big thing when you have a design background. Mm -hmm. I actually know lots of photographers who have a design background. This Mm -hmm. comes as really no surprise (laughs) because you look at things and you see, you know, seeing compositions, it just comes naturally. And seeing color, you know, like if you're in uh, in nature and you have uh, different kind of flowers and you have a nice sunset, you automatically this just goes automatically. You find like flowers that have the right color that actually match with the sky, complementary colors, this kind of stuff. It it really goes automatically when you already have uh, experience in design. Uh, And then, like you said, in post-processing, it really helps, of course, to know Photoshop, uh, know color, um, know um, how much you can can do in post-processing. Of course, shooting raw and, and experiencing what raw files can do when starting out with photography it's it's really interesting, but then, yeah, it really helped with my post processing mm-hmm. and yeah i of course, in the beginning, when I was starting out, I was learning a lot really fast in terms of photography because of course it's it's a little bit different than approaching just standard design, like I said, you really have to l- learn how to handle your camera. At that time, I had a camera with a very low dynamic range because uh, I was shooting with the GH2, you know, the Panasonic camera. Oh, yeah. And why? Because it was amazing for video. I mean, some people even made indie films with it. So I also always used it for video. And then with a, with a manual lens, mm-hmm. uh, I had a Nikon uh, one, uh, 50 one2 that I loved. It's a manual lens, and uh, I used it with an adapter on that. And this was great for video, but I also used it for my pictures. And uh, yeah, I really had to learn my camera uh, differently when shooting photos because you're dealing with your dynamic range of your camera. And, you know, if you're shooting a sunset or something and you're shooting brackets, then you're really, if you're shooting single shots, you cannot capture all the data into one shot. And I was capturing, you know, brackets to overcome these difficulties. And I was, you know, combining them in, in Photoshop, uh, HDR, uh, you call it. But, um, you know, nowadays the camera sensors, and, you know, the full frame sensors, they, they have so much more dynamic range than at that time. And I can shoot one picture now that I would use a, a, at those times. I would shoot maybe three or four or five pictures right. to just capture all the image, image data. So the technology has really improved extremely fast, uh, which is great, especially for someone like me who loves uh, post-processing. You know, the, the, the detail you can get out of the shops and the data, it's just uh, amazing. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, my design background, yeah, it really helped me uh, in my post-processing a lot, I'm, for sure.
0: I'm curious, uh, for people that don't have a design background, what do you think is... An easy way for people to pick up some of those basic design elements or design theory, I guess, to help them with their photography.
1: Yeah, I think for, 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 for people um, who are really new to photography and don't have really this design background, don't have any experience... Um, I think the most important thing is just keep practicing because I remember even when I was a designer in the beginning, wow, when I see some of this work now, it looks horrible, you know, (laughs) and and, and everything, the more you do it, the better you get at it, basically. So you just have to practice, practice, practice. Also show it to maybe other people who have more experience than you and tell them to give you honest feedback. This I've learned that this helps the most And, of course, uh, we have everything online available on the Internet. You know, when I I was 13, 14 years old, I used to watch uh, a lot of tutorials online. Even at that time, there were already many. You know, I used to watch After Effects tutorials and stuff. And I taught it, like, completely uh, myself, this software and software. And uh, I think that this is what a lot of people can do now as well. There's so much stuff available on YouTube, on on articles. You can learn basically everything yourself. But the most importantly, the most important thing is that you just have to do it and keep doing it and practice, practice, practice. um, And then eventually you will get better. What I think is very helpful, though, um, for people um, who are really new to do like some in the field workshop and even though um, um, even though you might not immediately um, um, learn uh, everything just to the, the, what I what I notice a lot when, when people are learning from me just uh, if they see me how I work in the field it's already super helpful for people mm-hmm. how I look at things, how I make compositions you know when people see that when I make compositions I show them my pictures I show them my framing this is already very helpful. So especially for new people, I would definitely recommend just if you're stuck and you want to improve, just go on a workshop in the field and go with someone you like, you know, a photographer you admire, you know, spend some money on that and this will greatly help you a lot. I'm sure of that because I know for myself that it also helped me as well to learn from other people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's, I feel like my photography for myself, it grows whenever I'm out in the field with other people that I personally like their work. I pick up little things here and there and you know, that's the stuff builds up over time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And even if it's small things, you know, I often hang out with my friends and uh, off and a lot of friends are photographers who I really admire and I really like their work and even small things you can always learn and uh, like, uh, in the beginning you learn a lot but to you know at this at this if you're already very experienced experienced it gets even harder i think because we are never i think you probably know we are never satisfied with ourselves we always want to improve we want to explore new spots no, we w- we not only want to improve our photos we also want to improve our whole you know ourselves uh, as a person you know, we want to have new experiences, explore new places. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. I have a really strong drive of improving uh, everything I do. And I think that's for a lot of creative people. It's like that, you know, uh, people, they, they they look at our pictures and they always say, oh, that's amazing. You know, especially people, you know, just the the, the normal people who, who look at your Instagram every day. You know, you get so many positive comments and this is amazing. But we are we we often don't see it that way. We always see flaws in our pictures. And yeah. We always want to improve, even even us, for sure. I, I think it does sound familiar to you. Well, you,
0: you bring up a, a, a good point because as you were talking, I was thinking about <clears throat> this pursuit of, of photography. I think it drives a lot of us to become better at all kinds of different things, like holistically as a person. I mean, I want to become you know, a better athlete, I want to be in better shape so that I can hike further and backpack more and carry more gear and all that stuff. But I also, because of social media and um, our online personas, it's, it's definitely made me want to be a better communicator with digital communicator with people so that they understand my point of view without getting uh, offended by it, um, and things like that. And, you know, I've made lots of mistakes in that area over the years. So it's interesting how photography, the pursuit of photography, at least for me, makes me want to become a better person in all kinds of different ways.
1: (laughs) Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's
0: interesting. Speaking of uh, Photoshop, I think it was about a month ago, you had an article in Petapixel, which I think you've had several articles in Petapixel. And I know a lot of photographers including myself, don't always think highly of Petapixel, but um, I enjoyed your article. And the title of your article was, uh, People Call My Photos Fake, But They're Not. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> uh, and wow, I mean, obviously we've covered that topic on the podcast a lot. I'm sure some people listening are probably already rolling their eyes or fast forwarding, <laughs> but it's one of my favorite topics. And I think it's one of the most important topics of our time as photographers because of how quickly, right. because of how quickly the the digital manipulation of f- photographs has kind of emerged and transformed in the last decade. Definitely. Yeah. And so knowing the title of your article, people call my photos fake, but they're not, I was, I'm first curious, why does it even matter? And, um, why did you write the article?
1: Yeah. So, uh, uh go back a bit to when you said like people don't really think highly of petapixel (laughs) but um this this is funny that you're saying that because you know for me getting my work out there um uh, is uh, these photo blogs are super important and you know of course the 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 comment section of petapixel it's toxic you know yes And, and the funny thing is people tell me hey albert you know, you're the only one on Petapixel that doesn't really have a lot of haters in the comment, <laughs> And this is true. And sometime back, I mentioned, you know, every time I mention a brand in an article, it goes like the completely wrong way. Then it's not about the photos anymore. It's about, oh, you're working with this brand, uh, you're promoting this brand, then everything is shit, I don't believe you. You know, this is basically what they it's say. It's amazing how so that the, happens. The, the, the trick is to 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 make your article only about photography and preferably like give some good tips or like show some good pictures and don't talk about any brand at all this is this is wrong and if you do you know i I wrote also an article about shooting with the 10 millimeter in which i kind of promoted the the, the laoa 10 millimeter lens for sony okay but then i said well these are taken with the 10 millimeter laoa but if you have an icon camera, then you can use this lens. And if you have a Canon, this lens is also very good, you know, and then people are like, Oh, okay. Then, 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 then I guess it's fair, you know, because you're promoting everything in that category. Right. So then it's okay. So you, you really have to be careful when you write stuff to, 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 to write it the right way. And I, over the years, I've become quite good at it. And I write a lot for Petapixel. Um, I, 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 uh, uh, yeah, usually when I submit an article, um, they they publish it because they like my style of writing. It's not too long; it's a bit short. It has some some degree of clickbait to it. You know, my <laughs> titles are very you know they, they 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 often like invite you to click. Uh, but then again, usually the content is quite good, or at least for a lot of people they like it. So this is the trick uh, on how to write articles. And I have actually uh, got a lot of license requests from very big companies through these blogs, through PetaPixel, through other photography blogs. So it's very valuable for me um, because I know that lots of um, design, uh, um, uh, you know, design departments from big brands—they're mm-hmm. just subscribed to all these blogs, and they check them every day. When they see something good, they're like, "Oh." maybe we can license license these uh, these pictures for some campaign or something you know Interesting. so it's very very good they don't uh, instagram it's too much you know it's too flooded with good images uh-huh. people never contact me through instagram to to license an image they always contact me through email and i and they i usually ask them like hey where did you find my images? Usually they say, well, we found them on your website through Petapixel or through another article I wrote. This is how they find my images. Interesting, right?
0: So for you, for you, the use of that website is a—it's um, more of a marketing strategy. It's, it's, uh-huh.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, to, to, to get my work out there and me as a person out there. And also you cannot forget everything you publish online, especially on the websites that are visited a lot, It gets indexed by Google. And, you know, people look for something, it will come up, you know, with your name. And this is great, especially I I get requests for images, uh, articles I did uh, three years ago. You know, why? Because they are indexed so well by Google right now uh, that my name just keeps popping up. You know, uh, if you look at um, the recent uh, thing I did with CNN, you know, they found me through my Volcano Uh articles. You know uh, from two years ago uh, and they were like hey we like what you did with the volcano can we do some small documentary with you you know this this is how people find me it works Interesting. really well yeah so yeah uh, continuing to the, the the part about yeah the articles i like to write them and um, you know the, the, the article i wrote about uh, people calling my pictures fake but they're not it was a response to uh, an article I saw on another popular blog. And that, what, that article was about viral photos um, that everyone believed were real, but they oh, were I actually fake. I think
0: I remember fake. that,
1: yeah. And I was like, well, I have, yeah. And I was like, I have some popular images that are the opposite. So this is how I wrote the article. Um, and I, for me, yeah, I guess for me, it's quite important and You know, I used to be much more extreme and when I would post an image and it would like become very popular and people would call it fake, I would really feel offended. But now over the years, I I learned that, you know, that's the Internet. People are always going to, you know, they're always just going to say stuff and you shouldn't really worry about it. But this is also why, because I have this, you know, I still, still, when people calling stuff fake, even now, I still... Uh, I'm still a little bit annoyed by it. So this is why I write these articles to explain people how these shots are actually mm-hmm. made. Uh, and, you know, I wrote a big article about the volcano uh, shots uh, I, I, and, uh, you know, moon shots. I, I like to write how I created those shots and why. Because, you know, planning these shots uh, takes a lot of time and effort. It's, just, it's not just being at the right time. Uh, right. the right place because this is what people are saying to me a lot as well hey you're always at the right place at the right time i'm like yeah but you know i plan this out and do you have any idea how much times i've filled <laughs> right. you know creating this shot you know i don't post a failed shot so yeah you only see the good stuff uh, on social media i have millions of pictures that are you know completely right. failed shoots. <laughs> I go to a spot and it just doesn't work out. You cannot predict the weather, especially here in the Netherlands. So yeah, um, planning, planning the shots is something I'm really passionate about. And then I also really uh, enjoy it when people can, when I can explain to people how I plan them and then show them the road to the shot kind of, and then the outcome. And if you plan a shot and you, you know, the outcome is really well, um, it's just, it gives you great satisfaction. It gives you so much satisfaction than just, you know, photoshopping, uh, photoshopping a shot together and just getting the likes Mm -hmm. on social media. You know, this, it doesn't, doesn't do any satisfaction for me. I, I feel I'm cheating the audience, you know, but, but I don't really care, uh, if people, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing that, uh, and you know, everyone, their own thing. It's perfectly fine for me, but for myself, i don't uh i like to uh, capture the moment but yeah of course my my pictures they're edited you know this is a, another endless discussion <laughs> because people saying, yeah but they're still fake you know because you edited them in photoshop and lightroom and right. stuff like that but yeah what can you do so um i always say to people like my my pictures uh the base has to be there you know i will not um i will not uh photoshop a milky way above a city for example you know this is the, the, the base and the the planning has to be there and then of course i will add contrast color you know dodging and burning a little bit but the base the raw file has to sure. stay like it is and m- maybe i will just remove like uh, some weird trash can sure. somewhere you know this is like on the edge but uh, yeah of course we all do that uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, it gets a bit tiring having to teach people all the time what photography um, yeah, is about. Because especially if you're going to argue with uh, journalism photographers, well, you will never win. Because, yeah, you have, this is a, a completely different thing. You know, you have to shoot in JPEG and the or, origin has to be like mm-hmm. almost untouched. Um, but, yeah, if you shoot in JPEG, you know, your camera does a lot of mm-hmm. editing to your picture you know a raw file of course you have to edit that and people who are, who are saying you edit your shots it's fake you know i tell them well you're taking pictures with your iphone right right yeah uh, but your iphone it does a huge lot of processing to your images you know so it's basically the same thing if i'm shooting in raw and i you know i do all this editing myself i simply have more control it's the oh, same totally. thing so yeah uh, it's it's really difficult to, but, but uh, going back at uh, the whole planning and, and and why I write these articles. Yeah. This is mainly because I like to show people uh, how shots are made and that not everything you see nowadays is, 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 is fake, you know, because you see a lot of, I had, I had someone come up to me from the younger generation, you know, Instagrammer. He was saying to me, Hey Albert, you don't replace guys. You don't composite Milky Way. You don't composite Aurora. I was like, no, I never do that. He said to me, he was like, what was he? Maybe fourteen years old. He was like, oh, I thought everyone on Instagram was doing that. You know, I was like, wow, this is what we 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 become nowadays. You know, the newer gen- generation, the younger generation, they think every everything on Instagram is fake and composited. You know, because so many people are selling tutorials on how to do that and stuff this is yeah this i like to kind of distinguish myself by showing hey not everything is fake Uh, a lot of photographers are putting a lot of effort to get these shots
0: yeah i think it's i think you nailed it in terms of like why it's happening like why so many people are just assuming that good photography is quote-unquote fake or photoshopped because so much of it is and um And I think, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, but what I, why it bothers me and why I appreciated your article is because it does seem to undermine people's trust in all photography, uh, not just your photography, right? So um, I think people say, oh, people can do whatever they want. And yes, that's true. And I have no problem with people doing what they want, but when they don't disclose that it's um, what they've done, then eventually people are just going to assume that everything is uh, not to be trusted, which, which I think we should all have a, a skeptical eye in photography, but the more and more we have to do that, the more and more I think it undermines the power that landscape photography has, which I think is to, represent an experience because i I don't personally like the word fake i I like authentic because i think you know yeah you can i think you can do some stuff in photoshop that uh better approximates your experience that you had as a photographer my friend michael bolinos kind of got me hooked on this way of thinking but if you start replacing skies like and stuff like that i feel like that's not really
1: being true, true, to the experience—that yeah, that takes away the experience. Like
0: you don't, you didn't experience that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this is. Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying to, to 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 people as well. And and you know, it's also like sometimes I take my friends out or my girlfriend. You know, and and when they see an amazing sunset, they're like, "Wow, I've actually never seen that before." You know, because people people they don't really notice. They have their own life, their work they don't really go out for a sunrise or specifically to see a sunset, something beautiful, you know, especially here in the Netherlands where the weather is always uh, not the best. And when they do see it with me, they're like, Hey, Albert, actually thanks for showing me this because it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> in your pictures, they say. And I'm like, yeah, you know, see, it's not, uh, it's not only like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Uh, a lot of people also in in the netherlands they say well the netherlands never looks like that you know when i post this beautiful foggy morning shot with a beautiful sky and i'm like yeah but you know you you never you never wake up at (laughs) four in the morning and and go to see a nice sunrise you know (laughs) so yeah it's uh, it's about the experience i completely agree and uh, we try to you know in some people's Uh, creative minds or in some people's head the experience was different than in other people's and we try to process accordingly but yet like i mentioned the base always uh, has to be there and then we go from there
0: all right well we'll be right back in a minute to continue our discussion with albert on post-processing there's a lot more to come on the show I want to tell you a little bit more about one of our patrons, Jason Matias, the founder of The Art of Selling Art. You might remember him from episode 79, where we discussed the business of art, marketing, art fairs, and my personal favorite, Finding Your Voice. Jason just released an amazing comprehensive guide to creating giveaways over on The Art of Selling Art, which you can find at www.jasonmatias.com. If you're like me, you're thinking, well, giveaways are pretty simple, but I th- honestly, Jason's approach covers so many different angles, it will totally make you rethink how you're leveraging your social media accounts to monetize your artwork, which then allows you to have the freedom to get out there and create more art. Head over to his website, jasonmatias.com, to learn more. All right, let's get back to the discussion with Albert Tross. <clears throat> Another thing that... that um... I was curious what you thought about this, but uh, so often this conversation, well, and I would say a lot of times it's not even a conversation, it's people screaming at each other, but so often what happens is um, right. the people that are into compositing and replacing Skies and things like that, they they will qu- they will quickly uh-huh. say, well, it's my art and I can do whatever I want as an yeah, artist. Yeah, true. But yeah, what sure. I've found is that Oftentimes, that's not originally what drove them to to do that, um, and and to me, that's just an it's like a
1: well, you're you're kind of right because I know what you mean. You know, it's easy to grow your popularity or your social media or whatsoever with you know very impressive shots that are composited or uh, you know with fake skies. So you see this a lot, and you know, for a lot of photographers who are trying to be you know, who are trying to uh, keep it real, basically. Like for me, it's 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 not that easy and it gets a bit annoying for sure. But then again, if you think about it, you know, um, the, like I sell a lot of images to magazines, you know, and you cannot really do that if they're composited, I feel. Because then, yeah, like especially if you're selling to, 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 to magazines like National Geographic, they want to see the raw file, uh, so uh, of course nowadays I show them the raw file. It's it's edited, but mm-hmm. they're completely fine with it as long as you didn't do crazy stuff to it. So um, yeah, if you're uh, have the, if you have this kind of clients, you you, you have you have uh, you have to do it uh, the real way. But uh, yeah, if you just want to make a business out of um, your social media, basically, and selling uh, presets and, and stuff. Um, selling tutorials how to do this you know it's perfectly fine of course because you can i think it's you can easily make a business out of it although now a lot of people are already trying it so it's not that easy anymore but uh, this is maybe another approach you know because I, I definitely see what you mean it's it's easy to grow in popularity by just um you know doing a lot of uh, easy Photoshop jobs and you, you post them on social media and they immediately get uh, thousands of likes because it looks so unreal. Um, Yeah. But, but then again, you know, there are also some people who are doing compositing who are just extremely good at it. And this is, this is great. I think this is, this is awesome. And uh, like I said, everyone has to do their own thing, but for myself, I just, I get the satisfaction out of uh, planning a shot Mm -hmm. and executing it. And then, making it as beautiful as possible in post-production. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'd rather have a shot that I – because I can composite. I'm not the best at it, but I I know how to do it. I've done very good composites. and um, Some of my best-selling images are composites, but I would say when I look back at all of of my favorite images and the ones that I'm most proud of, it's the ones that I I planned it, um, I put the work in. Um, there was an element of reality. There's a lot more, it's a more representative of my experience. And if that image has less likes and less sales than the other ones that I don't care. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. But for me, um, you know, also because I wrote this, because I often, uh, especially with, with this shot, with my volcano shots from a few years back, you know, it, it, it gets, it looks so unreal that if i would see this image myself and someone else took it i would probably (laughs) think it's fake as well and this is kind of you know what i want to do i want to create shots that are so unreal that people think they are fake but they are real and then i show them how they are real and how they were shot so this is this is something i I like you know Uh, and, but the, at the same point, I do get annoyed when people are calling them <laughs> fake. So it's kind of, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of both, both ways, but, um, yeah, th- this is, I think this is this image where you see the Milky Way stretching over the valley. Uh, yeah. Like nine out of 10 people are calling that well, fake. Well, that's
0: because nine out of 10 Milky Way panoramas that are perfectly
1: composed are fake. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> uh, yeah, these articles, they, they help me in, uh, to explaining uh, what I do. And uh, I write a lot of articles and uh, I, I, uh, I do a lot of photo series as well. You know, I just uh, finished my tulip workshops last week, um, posted all the shots, the tulip uh, tulip shots. And, uh, you know, had had two great workshops with the people and uh, you know working together with the farmers it's just an amazing experience to uh, have people from all over the world come to these workshops and experience uh, the, these flowers uh, it's uh, also because of social media that uh, this these things are getting very popular and uh, it's great to be able to 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 show this 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 beauty that we have here to uh, so many different people yeah and I'm also very yeah. happy with, the, with the, the shots myself this year because it's funny, you know, as much as I love to travel around to take shots and explore new locations, I also love to be here in in, the, in my home country. Um, I photograph, for example, the tulips. I love to photograph them every year again and again. And then I have these other photographers here in the Netherlands, they're saying, well, it's always the same, you know, tulips again, it gets boring. But for me, it doesn't. I can get... from everything so i can shoot them with any kind of lens you know macro wide angle with the drone new technology is coming so new angles we can we can create and shoot and not only that also they are researching every year new tulips you know new flowers uh, and and, and they are always at a different spot as well why because you cannot grow the same flower uh, at the same field uh, two years in a row so the fields change, and this year we had some beautiful fields uh, lined up with windmills. Uh, it's just some amazing shot from that that I always wanted to take, and only this year I got, to t- uh, I was able to take these shots. Uh, and this is, you know, with a lot of stuff. I have these shots in my head that I want to take, uh, maybe one time. You know, tulip field with maybe thunderstorm and a rainbow, something like that. You know, crazy, crazy uh, shots that are in my head that maybe once in a lifetime I can get them, but that's okay. If I can never get them, no problem because why? It keeps me going, right? I keep trying shots. And then when I'm trying, I often end up with some other amazing shots that I didn't think of, of would happen. You know, something always happens when you're out there. You always just have to try, go out there and and shoot. Um, Always trying to catch that moment. And often, other things happen like a few years back when I captured the ISS international space station with the Milky way in the Netherlands here, um, above the countryside also.
0: Yeah. That's, a, a, that's a cool
1: shot. shot. It's, it's a lucky shot. Uh, but I went there 50 times at 3am in the night to shoot. You know? So, <laughs> so yeah, something happens when you go out there that much, something is, is right. right. And they can say, yeah, it's a lucky shot, but yeah, you know, if you're always out there, you get these lucky shots, you know, cows under a rainbow, this kind of stuff. You know, it's, when you're always out there chasing the weather, you can, you can get these shots. Uh, it's just, yeah, you have to be out there.
0: Yeah, and I think that is one of the advantages of having having a muse that you return back to over and over again. I think one of my muses is the fall colors here in, in Colorado. It's just
1: oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I just, I've been there one time. Oh, well, it's so good! Actually, I I went there when I I really I, I really didn't expect. I, I didn't even know. I didn't research. I guess huh. I was like, I'm going. to I was doing a road trip, but it's more for fun with my uh, my niece and my brother. And at that time, I, I I just I was focused on Utah and stuff, you know. And I arrived I, I arrived uh, at Denver, uh-huh. Denver, and I started my road trip from there all the way to San Francisco. And at that time it was fall there. It's just so amazing, all these yellow trees. I had never really seen that. I was like, "Wow, it's incredible!" And then when the light is hitting that, it's so good. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs>
1: I, have to, I have to go back there to 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 capture that properly. Yeah. yeah,
0: I was really curious. You have a you have another petapixel article where you talk about uh, photographing landscapes at super wide angles, like ten millimeters. And I was curious what it is about um, that super wide focal length that um, that y- you enjoy using because early on in my photography, uh, landscape photography career, I think I was shooting super wide, like almost exclusively all the time and I kind of got bored of it. So I'm curious what, what it is about that for you that you enjoy.
1: Yeah, for me, I don't know. It's really the creativity part, I think. I always tell people... I, I love shooting extremely wide, but also I love shooting landscapes with, for example, the, the 400 millimeter. Yeah. Why? Because, <laughs> you know, it's not easy to create a landscape, you know, to see a landscape in the distance and capture it. This is very difficult. Um, the same thing applies if you shoot with 12 or 10 millimeter. It's very difficult because when you just hold this lens in front of your eyes, there's so much in the frame. It's It's, It's quite tricky to get a good composition. But then when you kind of uh, lower your lens and you, you know, I use live view all the time and a lot of people for them, it's really new to shoot like that. But I tilt my screen, I use live view Mm -hmm. and I I hold my camera close to the ground and I look through my tilted live view and then I just walk around and I see so many things, you know, the, the foregrounds are photos in itself. And with such a wide angle lens foreground, it gets so much, so important. It gets much more important than your subject itself. So from something very small in the foreground, like something that is very small, when you just look at it, when you hold your lens there, it turns into something completely different. Yeah. I, you, I love being creative with compositions and lines. So this is how I, uh, usually uh, scout for compositions. I, and with the with the extreme wide angle, the perspective is so extreme and the distortion you can use to your advantage by creating uh, something very creative. And I often tell uh, my uh, you know people that join my workshops, you know, look through your uh, live view and don't use your tripod, especially not uh, in the beginning when you see a new place. Walk around with your camera, and then you know keep it low as well so that you can see everything that's going on in the foreground, all the lines, all the little rocks, uh, the little flowers that suddenly make very interesting composition elements. When you go close to them with a, um, with a very wide angle lens, you know, especially when you have these uh, rocky foregrounds, you know, to, going 10 centimeters to the left or right can make such a huge difference yeah. on your composition when you're using such a lens, So there's so much foreground material everywhere when you're using a very wide angle lens and the longer Mm -hmm. the lens is the more difficult that gets uh, with your foreground elements. So uh, this is why I love shooting wide so much, but of course, yeah, uh, especially shooting 10 millimeter. It's so extreme that everything, it gets very uh, distorted. Uh, So you definitely have to take uh, that into account and, Mm -hmm. a little bit use of distortion can for me it's okay but there are also people who are like "Mm, this is too distorted i don't like this but yeah it's a challenge it's a challenge to make uh, i mean 12 to 14 it's easier than shooting 10 10 is like the extreme end for me and 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 that is very difficult to make a good uh, good shot but the more difficult it is the greater the challenge and the more creative you can be so this is why i like it so much
0: do you ever do um, focal length blending when you shoot like super wide, but then your oh. your oh. background?
1: No, I don't. Uh, I've done it maybe, I think, once or twice. Uh, other than that, I don't really do that. But I can, yeah, I can definitely understand why people do that. Because, yeah, it doesn't really represent the real scene when the foreground is so big and the, and the background is really small. Right. Uh, but then again I, I look for that you know in my shot i, I uh, my composition it, it's what i see in my viewfinder or in my live view this is my composition so i don't really think about hey i'm gonna make this bigger or smaller because i usually don't so mm-hmm. you just have to refine your composition uh to, yeah to make it work um but i don't i, I don't really mind doing that uh, focal blending uh, focal length blending uh, as, uh, also it's quite difficult it's quite a, like a lengthy process to do in processing uh, I don't do it that much but I don't think it's wrong to do that I can totally understand that people are doing that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't do that a lot what I do use a lot is uh, focus stacking and sure. one thing I also <laughs> often tell to the people who are in my workshop and like to shoot with wide angle lenses, I always tell them hey, you know, find the point of your lens where you can still f- where you're on the edge of where you can focus so mm-hmm. that's your minimum focus distance from your lens right so f- usually the wide-angle lenses uh, uh, except if you use a macro you know they can f- focus maybe 10 or 20 centimeters uh, usually 20 centimeters or something in, in like in front of them you can focus when you go closer you cannot focus anymore so then try to find that spot where you cannot focus anymore and use that, you know, go as close as this to an object because lots of people
0: yeah, don't then, do that. They and then focus out from there. Yeah. yeah. When,
1: you ta- when you when you tell them to go close, they go one meter or something, you know? That's
0: <laughs> yeah. That. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> get, get like closer. half a foot.
1: <laughs> so It's like an exercise, you know, go as close as your lens can focus. And then you're like, Hey, yeah, this is cool. Now I see what you mean. Um, so, but uh, often I want to even get closer. Uh, and if you go as close as this, you can never get everything in focus. You can shoot f22, good luck, uh, but your background will still not be in focus. So you right. have to use focus stacking, especially with these sometimes in spring, you know, these beautiful flowers in the uh, in the foreground. You have to focus, use focus stacking.
0: Yeah, and if it's windy at all, good luck with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, then it's near impossible. But yeah, focus stacking I do a lot, and also. You know, when I get very close to uh, foreground objects, often I even even want to get uh, closer, but I can't because my lens will not allow that.
0: I saw you're also shooting with that 15 millimeter f2 Leica lens, which I I also I also have that lens, and I yeah, it's like uh, what is it like half a or a quarter of a foot? Uh, it's really close focus, minimal focus distance.
1: Yeah, so sometimes I I get that, and now I'm also experiencing with wide angle. Uh, wide angle macro lenses because they can do it you know, So you can combine like macro and wide angle in one and you really utilize everything this lens can do. This is amazing. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, still uh, experimenting with that. I don't really have good shots with it yet, but it's <laughs> definitely something that, uh, that I, yeah, I like technology and this kind of stuff. I, I love it. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, the listeners are really curious and I'm really curious to hear about your three-week trip to Kyrgyzstan because I think that's a pretty exotic location. I took a look at your your images uh, from there and, and they're just nothing short of spectacular and also I would say uh, super unique. I don't think I've ever seen any similar imagery, so that's super appealing uh, to me. So tell us, uh, I guess, start off with what what was kind of your motivation and goal for traveling to Kyrgyzstan and and what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah. um, So uh, I think uh, up until maybe one and a half year ago, I had never heard of uh, Kyrgyzstan, this country. I didn't, uh, I didn't know where, uh, where it was located. And I'm sure (laughs) there are a lot of people that uh, if I mention it, they have to take a look at the map where it actually is. So Um, uh, my girlfriend is from Kyrgyzstan and, um, I, uh, she, she lives here in Amsterdam and I met her here. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this kind of, I have to give most of the credits to her because, uh, yeah, without her, I wouldn't have, uh, known about the country even probably. So, um, yeah uh w- once i i met her i started to do research into this country and when i saw all these pictures from the country you know i was like this country it looks amazing it has so many things you know the mountains there look, look it looks great so basically uh, what i did i i planned a trip uh, to kyrgyzstan which my first was i think it was july last year yeah july last year and uh, that was my first trip to Kyrgyzstan. And I, uh, of course I went her, I went there to meet her family uh, and stuff. And, um, but I also wanted, uh, as a landscape photographer, I was extremely intrigued by everything I saw about it. And she showed me a lot of stuff as well. Uh, and I was like, I really want to spend a long time here photographing the country and exploring the country. Uh, so I did that. Um, most of the time also with her and uh, also I had some uh, other travel agency helping me out uh, with that and I did some exploring myself so overall I spent I think uh, three or even four weeks there uh, exploring the country and uh, yeah it was just it's it's so amazing there it's you know it, it because this country it, it it it's not really explored especially not by photographers. When I went there, I saw some hikers going there. Uh, It's popular also for climbers, mountain climbers. Right. Uh, Because you have this 7,000 meter uh, peaks higher than that, uh, you know, close to 8,000 meters. Uh, Of course, this, you know, know, the Tian Shan mountain range, it's really epic. And uh, yeah, I I, uh, planned a lot of stuff for that. For that trip like uh, did a lot of research uh, areas that i want to visit then of course had some local help because lots of areas you cannot just go yourself even you can rent a car but you know good luck there the, are often roads you go on well they call them roads but i wouldn't really call them that they're very difficult to drive uh, and uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's not that easy but the reward, is just amazing. You know, I've been to all of these valleys that you, you literally don't see anyone driving for five, six hours. You don't see anyone. Uh, you know, it's, it's very empty. And then you see suddenly a house with a shepherd with his cattle. And it's so remote. It's just, it's beautiful just, just to experience that. And I tried with my uh, photo series of Kyrgyzstan, I kind of tried to capture that. That yeah. also em- emptiness and the beauty, and uh, yeah, I'm quite happy with the result. I, I'm very happy with the images of uh, of that I captured in in the in my first trip. You know, I don't know if you've seen my uh, second, uh, you know, my second trip to Kyrgyzstan, which is a little bit different. You know, I explored the a canyon area there with uh, with, with CNN, and I also uh, did a, like the video about it, the documentary, and article. And we did a lot of night shooting and I did a lot of shooting with the drone as well. But it's mainly in the canyon areas. And I will go back there again next month uh, and I will explore again another part of the country. Because there's so much stuff to explore there. You have like uh, so much countries in one. You have mountains that look like Europe here. You have glaciers. Uh, You have areas that look like Utah, Uh, these canyons. Everything is there. Uh, and a lot of stuff. Uh, no one is coming there, so it's really, <laughs> it's really an amazing country. Yeah, but it's not easy to capture. It's definitely not easy. Uh, also, when we're talking about wide-angle lenses, you see in the series, I didn't actually capture that much images with a wide-angle. Why? Because there's a lot of dry land there with, with uh, not not that much interesting foregrounds. So also, I utilized the one hundred to four hundred a lot there. Uh, and yeah, uh, there there are some beautiful wildflowers there as well, though. Uh, so, but yeah, there's so much stuff to see and capture there. It's yeah, it's amazing. That's why also one of the reasons uh, I keep coming back, of course. But uh, yeah, I combine it with visiting the family of my girlfriend. And uh, next uh, next month, for example, there's a wedding from her sister which I will attend to. So, yeah, this combination of traveling and spending time with the family, it's it's great. <laughs> what are,
0: what are some of the logistics like were you doing a lot of backpacking or like how are you navigating the country and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, we did uh, a lot of camping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh usually there are trips of maybe two or three days you can also of course do longer that you can do anything you want it's great for backpacking so um with with all these routes and stuff i got a lot of help from the locals uh they would uh, also help me uh, sometimes you know they, they would uh, they, they, they're also guides you know and they um they would they would help me a lot and and they also became really good friends of mine because 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 of me they got so many new clients i'd like to think <laughs> because i think uh, yeah they're very busy now uh they're they called visit Carco and yeah, you know they're the most amazing people there because they will help you basically with with anything you want and, uh, and
0: they uh do they speak english or was yeah, your girlfriend translating yeah. or
1: what oh they speak english so okay they're great. They speak English. Uh, not that not that many people there speak English, but they're you know the people are very nice though. Um, but yeah, backpacking uh, we did uh, quite some times, especially during the first time I visited there. Uh, hiking, you know, to to get a lot of uh, of these beautiful shots, you really have to hike. Um, and they're not the easiest hikes. You know, some are uh, some are not that hard, three to four hours. But others, you have to like walk seven or eight hours, and you're walking only steep up. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's quite uh, the trails are not not that great. You know, it's, it's often uh, very dry and, and 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 rocky and stuff. But uh, it's very rewarding, of course, when you can take these amazing shots at the end of such a hike. Yeah, uh, and I did a lot of yeah shots with the drone as well. It's amazing country for the flying the drone. Um, but yeah, hiking, backpacking is amazing there, especially in the mountain uh, areas. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's cool. That sounds like the kind of place I want to go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: awesome. Like it's funny because now a lot of people are planning to go there, especially in the photography, uh, in the landscape photography industry. Uh, and I'd like to think this is uh, because of me partly, because maybe people have seen my images. And you know, if you only look at, at my images you know uh, the the photo series it was on lonely planet you know um, and um, if you look at the social media you know on facebook uh, i think it's shared uh, 25000 times or something you know it's, it's crazy this is very uh, very funny how that happens um, <laughs> but when you photograph a, a country that has not been photographed uh, many times before in in that way like the locals and the Russians and the Kyrgyz people all over the world and in their country, they massively just share it because they're like, hey, look, this is my country. And some photographer captured it. It's amazing. This is how it works. So, yeah, I can definitely recommend uh, people to explore new places, not only for yourself, but also like commercially. It's very interesting because um, it it can, like, really – Put a country on the map, and also for yourself, it works great because you know people. So many people get to see your images just because it's unique. I can I can take an amazing picture of Kirkjufell in Iceland, and no one will see it because there are so many amazing pictures of it already. So yeah, doing something different is definitely something uh, that I try to do a lot now, and uh, also I, I I tell myself every year. I want to do one at least one thing that is unique and different for myself as well to keep you know, keep uh, inspiration going and keep just doing something something different and just something epic I want to do at least once a year uh, you have to make time for that instead of you know do, doing uh, especially when you know I'm doing uh, photo workshops and uh, I see a lot of people are doing a lot of photo workshops as well but you have to be careful that you you don't really lose the, the passion uh, from the, your your own passion and this is something that i think is, is very important as a photographer you, you you have to stay inspired i often hear people talk about a creative block but funny enough i almost never have that Because I just I don't know I can I can find inspiration from everything I I love shooting here in the Netherlands and I think you need to have a healthy balance between your own country uh, traveling um, and also in the projects you're doing commercially and also personal so there need to be a healthy balance between everything and then like you will not really lose your passion or like oh I'm gonna I'm going to stop photographing for a while because I'm not enjoying it anymore. No, you have to really find that balance. uh, I think, and also, yeah, don't, don't go crazy from social media because a lot of people I see there. Yeah. They're very influenced by social media, which is not a good thing. You know, you can just quit, quit social media for a while to do some, visit a nice place, you know, for a few weeks just chill, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I I know it for myself as well. But on the other hand, you know, I meet so many people on social media that are amazing. I've met so many pe- people. I'm um, probably on this podcast uh, because of social media as well. You know, because people are talking about me on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, people recommending me that know me from social media. I've grown my photography via social media. But yeah. You have to be careful, especially now that it doesn't really get to you.
0: Yeah, I I seem to see people falling into one of three kind of traps where either they become addicted to posting on social media and feeling like they have to feed that uh, adrenaline rush in terms of getting likes and clicks and shares. And then yeah, s- yeah, yeah. some people you know, they get, they fall into the trap where they feel like they have to post something every single day on every single platform or else people are going to, you know, somehow forget about them, which I think is kind of silly. I think some of the best photographers out there post maybe once or twice a month, you know? So, um,
1: I mean, I, I post a lot on social media, but, uh, yeah, I can easily stop for a month if I want to. If I'm traveling, for example, in yeah, when I'm tra- when I was traveling in yeah, Kyrgyzstan, maybe I didn't post for weeks, it, just because I'm busy. And uh, but I will post uh, stories and stuff. People can see what I'm doing. I like this. Is you just have to do however you like it. Some people they don't like to post on social media a lot. Some they like a lot. But you just have to be very careful that it doesn't become like too important for you. This is what I think is uh, is yeah, what you have to be, uh, you have to really be be careful.
0: Yeah, I mean, are you taking pictures because you love taking pictures or are you taking pictures because you're trying to be popular yep, yep, on social media?
1: Yep, yep, yep. And also, if you think about it, like uh, my business, the, 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 the things I make money from, do I got, get a lot of requests via social media? For me, actually, not. Maybe for other people, it's different. But uh, yeah, for me, it's not my core business. You know, so then you, you, you have to think about, yeah, how important is it to you? Like If you're uh, now the, the influencers that only post because, you know, they they need to promote a brand or something. For them, it's a different story because they actually, they are an influencer. And, you know, for them, social media is their source of income. You know, this is very different than a landscape photographer. Most of lens, most landscape photographers, I, I think, at least for me, you know, I don't make much money from social media. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's also the focus of your business where it's at.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I know, I think you were telling me earlier, you know, there, there is like a Zen diagram between influencers and photographers. I mean, some photographers are influencers and some influencers are photographers.
1: Yeah. I really don't like the word influencer. <laughs> but uh, you know, Nowadays, if you have if you have some followers, uh, yeah, you're you're of course an influencer because you're influencing people. Yeah, it's what it is. But uh, I really don't like to be called like that. I think it's a very annoying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's some people really want to be called that. Like that's their goal is to become an influencer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe that's why because uh, now everyone wants to be an influencer. Well, I know yeah. I don't. <laughs> no, we just uh, enjoy photography. Yeah.
0: well cool. So Albert, what do you have coming up um, in terms of workshops and things like that?
1: Uh, so I just had my tulip workshop uh, in the Netherlands um, and I think I will organize it again next year. So if people are interested in, the, in that, just uh, subscribe also to my email list uh, on my website. Um, and, um, I have now, the first thing I have coming up is the end of this month is uh, the PhotoPills camp. Uh, I'm sure most uh, people who are listening to this podcast, they know PhotoPills. You know, these guys, they have been, uh, my friends since forever. You know, I've been, I've been using this app, uh, f- since times that no one was using PhotoPills. So they became very good friends of mine and they're organizing this PhotoPills camp, Um, every year in which actually a lot of people from the U S are always attending and also photographers from the U S it's always great to have this mix from, you know, from people from all over the world there. Uh, So I have that coming up uh, at the end of this month. Then after that, I will spend some weeks in Kyrgyzstan again. Uh, I will explore some new areas. I will uh, go to the wedding of my girlfriend's sister um, and that's going to be a few weeks uh, then I come back at the end of June and I will go to Patagonia uh, with Elia, and we have uh, a workshop there we're running a workshop there uh, photographing the eclipse so I'm very excited about that it's going to be amazing to uh, see that eclipse uh, because I've never seen an eclipse and you know last eclipse it was amazing you guys could see it in the US there uh, and I was actually thinking at that time well it's not that special you know the eclipse and then i saw all the images from the guys (laughs) uh, yeah some people who have been on this podcast they did some great images like like andrew studer yeah uh, incredible images and i was like how did i how did i skip this how you know because i love this kind of stuff and i was like these images they're amazing and, um, yeah, I really regret that. So now I have another chance. Uh, we're going to be there with the workshop.
0: Uh, That's awesome. It's
1: going to be amazing. I hope for clear skies, of, of course, <laughs> it would be uh, sad if we cannot see it, but yeah. So I will be there. Uh, after that, um, I will be, uh, most probably in, in Greenland on the boat and we still have some spots on that workshop. So if people are interested in that, uh, check my website, uh, going to be in in greenland very excited about that as well uh with the very photogenic icebergs and the the red sails we have this boat with the red sails with which looks just looks incredible you maybe you've seen some pictures of people who have been there it's just Mm. it's uh it's beautiful and after that um, i'm planning some other trips i'm also planning some personal project but i'm not gonna say too much about it <laughs> because i'm too scared that uh, other people will then just yeah also go there but um, yeah I'm, I'm quite busy till at least the end of august and after that i have some time for uh, personal stuff
0: that's awesome yeah i'm a big fan of um photo pills um I, 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 i've been using it gosh probably ever yeah, since it a came out i feel like I've, I've been using it i've been a they-
1: great and, and the whole community around it it's just so amazing and these people I, I love the people you know Rafa and, and Hedeman they're just so amazing and passionate in, in what they do and I have now a whole team but you know they, they're working so hard and if I see these guides you know they're producing like about Eclipse and everything it's like a 300 pages guide that they just make for the community I'm like are you kidding me I write an article it's maybe 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 two or three pages. They 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 like they write a three hundred pages article about an eclipse. <laughs> wow! And you know they're giving it away. It's not even uh, they don't even sell it or something. It's yeah, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if people know, but you can actually you can use um, photo pills to. They have an eclipse. Uh, you can actually makes- load the eclipse into photo pills, and it'll show you where yeah. the eclipse rises and sets, and then where it'll be in the sky. It's pretty sweet
1: yeah it's amazing yeah. yeah we're using it as well for the workshop so yeah it's, it's great
0: so albert who do you think our listeners would love to hear from here on the podcast
1: uh wow well, so yeah i have quite some photography friends um, i really like some of the italian guys you know, i have a lot of italian friends in photography and the uh, you know, I, I want them on the podcast just to just to hear their Italian accent. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, always, it's always so funny. So, uh, yeah, maybe my friend uh, Marco Grassi. Um, uh, there's Francesco Gola, um, who is very good in seascapes. And, uh, you know, I, I love his work as well. Always really long exposures. It's, it's very different than what a lot of people do. Uh, I really like uh, Enrico Fossati as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, really beautiful work Uh, a little bit of yeah uh, really looks like this fantasy movies you know lord of the rings and stuff amazing processing so definitely uh, would like to hear him on the uh, podcast yeah so and uh uh, last week i did my workshops with uh, elia locardi i'm sure like uh, all the listeners will know him of course uh very famous in the landscape photography industry. And he always has a lot to to say about uh, nowadays, landscape photography, uh, processing, also social media, new projects he's working on. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. So he would be amazing for the podcast as well. And last, uh, of course, you know, from my own country, uh, Adrian Sonneling is a good friend of mine. He does some amazing composites. You know, this is a composite artist that does a lot of cool uh, uh, composites with, you know, with, with a lot of with his kids, but also with models. And he's doing portraits, uh, compositing them with landscapes and really interesting work, what he does. And he uh, has a lot of, you know, a lot of great insight, great insights about today's uh, photography industry. And uh, I think he has a lot of interesting things to say always.
0: Awesome. So, uh, those, yeah, those I like,
1: people would be perfect. I think yeah. I like
0: his uh, his composites. So I appreciate that because uh, they're not. It he's not trying to create, um, you know, realistic representations of, no, of no, landscapes. He's, just a he's creating, artist, yeah. yeah, yeah, super super playful scenes with his kids. Like, yeah. He did a series where his kids were like giant sized.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he he likes to do that. Yeah, it's amazing. And he does it very well. He's one of the best in, th- in this industry, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I think those are good. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, send awesome. him an email.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it was a great uh, conversation, I think.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you uh, coming onto the podcast, Albert, and keep up the good work.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, we will uh, maybe shoot sometime. huh? That would be fantastic.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Albert for taking the time to join us on the podcast to share his thoughts from the Netherlands. It's always a pleasure speaking with people from other countries about their views on the craft of landscape photography. All right. Well, I have a lot of fun updates to announce. So hang in there. This is part of the show where I get to thank our awesome supporters and talk about upcoming events, guests, and future changes. First, a heartfelt thank you goes out to our newest patron, Michaeline McNerney. It means a lot to me that you'd lay down a fiver each month to keep us going, so gracias. Next, I'd like to give a special thanks to the folks that I like to call our Patreon podcast producers. Mm -hmm. These incredible people contribute at the $20 a month level and higher on our Patreon page. That's uh, Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny Lefrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Kelly Buchalern and Matthew Boone. Alright, well speaking of Patreon, we're doing something new over there. Patrons of the podcast are encouraged to participate in our themed photo contests by submitting them to the community board on our Patreon page, which can be found at patreon.com slash fstopandlisten slash community. The theme for the past two weeks was backlit. We had some really nice submissions from David Hunter, Luis Arroyo, Mark Klafschenkel, Dan Hawk, and Matthew Boone. It was a really close one for me to choose this week. Uh, Really liked all the submissions, uh, but I finally decided to pick the shot from Matthew Boone. Matthew shared a photo of a backlit Cholla cactus in Joshua Tree National Park. It's simple, it was black and white, and it's a close-up shot that really had me looking closely at all of the details in the cactus. Thank you everyone, and Matthew, I will get those stickers in the mail soon. The next theme is S-curves. I really want to see your best compositions that showcase a nice S-curve through the photograph, leading the viewer up and into the hero of the scene. Let's practice those compositions and see what you can submit. We'll keep this particular theme up until June 5th. I also want to remind people that there's a really, really easy way to support the podcast if you don't want to sign up on Patreon. If you're going to make any photography purchases, consider using our b affiliate link, which is in the liner notes and on the website for the podcast at mattpainphotography.com. Another announcement, we are going to start up a discussion forum for the podcast over on Nature Photographers Network, or NPN. It will be visible to all free members of the site and paid members, so there's no need to sign up, although you totally should because the critique forums there are super valuable. So keep an eye out for that soon. And uh, finally, our next guest is Brian Rube. Uh, Brian is one of the co-founders of Aperture Academy and honestly one of the funniest dudes in the industry. We had an awesome chat, and I can't wait to share it with you all next week. Also upcoming on the podcast, we have Ole Hendricks-Skelstad, David Cobb, Justin Machesky, and Waiho Pan. We also have several interesting podcasts coming up, so stay tuned. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.